this episode of Storytime with Stu. Thank you for joining us, by the way. This is a, uh, I'm going to try to make this a consistent thing, which is hard for me. <laughs> As you know, if you've been following the podcast for any amount of time, I'll put out an episode and say, wait for our, look for our next episode. And then seven months later, hey, here's our next episode. Sorry about that. We're doing some stuff. Uh, we're working with a new company that's helping us get some stuff off the ground. So hopefully we can be a little bit more consistent and streamlined and have some better versions of content for you in the very near future. But in this episode, I'm so excited <laughs> because we are going to start reading through what some people have called Dating with a Porpoise or <laughs> Dating with a Purpose. Now, the person who got this book to me shall remain nameless, but I do want you to know that there was no money spent in getting this book to the podcast that aided and or abetted the man who wrote this book that is now sitting in a federal penitentiary in Kentucky. But uh, very, very grateful for a dear, dear friend of mine who was able to get this book in my hands so that I can share it with you. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through the uh, just the beginning, the the, um, the introduction for whatever Jack has in here. This is written by Jack Scott, and it is his, it's basically a, when you arrive at Hiles Anderson College, when you arrived, probably not now, but when you arrived, I think they purchased all this stuff from the, the, the library there bookstore in the bookshelf um but basically if you want to it's it's not just a required required reading for like a class or two like if you want to date uh if you're a guy mostly if you're a guy you want to date a girl your freshman year or anytime at all they tell you you have to read this book and sometimes it is a requirement they make you get like dating coaches i would call them but dating counselors is what they would call them and in fact i had a run in with zayna retchen uh queen of scripture songs god bless her and uh, I had to run in with her because I was in my either junior or senior year. Man, I feel like it was my junior year. It could have been sophomore, I don't know. But I had a, eh, it's probably sophomore. I was real salty sophomore year. Uh, I remember having a run in with Dana and her um, basically putting me on blast because I didn't have dating counselors. And, and I was, and just kind of ignored that throughout my time at House Anderson. And when she brought it up, I said, well, okay, my parents aren't dating counselors, whatever. Which basically they were, because I talked to them about pretty much everything to this day. Uh, thank God for them, really. That there's no sarcasm in that one. There was for Zayn, not, not my parents. But um, I remember that it, it, dating is such a big thing in Alexander's in college. And when she asked me this, I said, no, my parents are. And she, she would not accept that. Like She was like, you have to go get a dating counselor. So I don't remember I finagled something. Anyways, dating is a real big deal in Alexanderson. Jack Scott was working there as the chancellor when I was there. Uh, I believe when he wrote this book, he was working there as well. But um, he is uh, the son-in-law of the IFB tyrannical legend Jack Hiles. And uh, he took his church over in 2000. And it probably was 2002 by the time he took it over. But late 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. And um, anyways, he wrote this book. And you had to read it. And it was a big deal. And uh, here, I'll leave the front for and it was so groundbreaking, and he helped you with the stages of dating and, you know, being pure and chaste until you get to the marriage altar. And we'll get into all that in the book. And just just record-breaking, groundbreaking stuff for young Christians who wanted to treat the opposite gender right, who wanted to have a godly and pure and intentional and um, upright dating relationship. And then he fucked a teenager, and now he's in prison. It's not funny what he did, but it is incredibly ironic that this book was rammed down so many young people's throats who had never had sex. 
much less in an illegal way, but in a legal, but in a legal fashion, we had never had sex, and he's out here having sex with underage persons. So, anyways, <laughs> let me get into the books, shall we? Um, so, dating with a purpose. In fact, I'm not going to read it, but um, when you buy a book you, at House Anderson, of course, it's a textbook. So, this was a textbook at, at one point, and uh, my friend's name is in here, as long as his room number, but. We'll leave that out. Uh, dedication. So, of course, Jack Hiles dedicates, uh, Jack Scott, sorry, he dedicates, oh, copyright, 1994, second printing, 95, third printing, 96, fourth, 96. Okay, you print, okay, you sold a bunch of copies, props. All right, I get it. <laughs> All right, dedication. I dedicate my book on dating to my beloved college students who have taught me more than I could, who we threw against the wall and yelled at and kicked in the ass, literally. You can ask them who have challenged and inspired me to reach new heights with God, who have provoked me to holiness by their sincere love and zeal for God, who have made me feel... This is a fucking run-on sentence, man. It is, if you can see it, it is that long, and there are no periods. Uh, and you're a, an author, okay. Like a hero, while they, have, while they take the five loaves and two fishes, I gave them in a classroom and feed multitudes and serve with honor, and this other is one period and distinction on the front lines of the battlefield. Without you, I, excuse me, I have no ministry. Without you, I have no purpose. Without teenagers. Acknowledgements. My wife set aside an entire semester of teaching at college in order to help me produce this book. Write this book. This isn't a TV show. Would anyone be surprised by such a personal sacrifice and investment from the author of A Wife's Purpose? Definitely need to read uh, the stuff that um, Callan's put out. Those assholes. They got some good stuff about beating your kids, mostly. She is an author herself, but much more. She is the incarnation of her own philosophies and teachings. Cindy Scott is Jack Hiles' daughter. Through her, I have obtained favor from the Lord. Thank you, Cindy. I love you. A wife is a good thing. You know, fight with a wife is a, fight is a good thing. Obtains favor from the Lord. Linda Stubblefield is a godsend to First Baptist Church. And Hiles Anderson College. I don't think I know Linda. Is she married to Dave? For all of us who fantasize of being an author, our dreams would remain only air castles. Air castles. That's a weird thing. Were it not for the tireless devotion and indispensable knowledge from this typesetter, ad advisor, proofreader, get it to the publisher without error, an on-time worker. Thank you, Linda. To my preacher, Dr. Jack Hiles, your father-in-law, whose principles... All of us authors of First Baptist Church borrow and reword and put into print. Yikes! Dare any of us here at First Baptist Church and Hiles Anderson College think we would have words worth writing or an audience to read them without his wisdom or influence? Complicating that man worship. Thank you, preacher. You mean that. <laughs> All right, introduction, preface. Okay, got to read the preface still. Oh, that's a long preface, Jack. Oh, introduction and preface. I don't know if I'll get through the first chapter. All right, I'll try. All right. Introduction, preface, which are out of order, by the way. Um, it says introduction, preface, and then the next thing is preface. And then starting right. So the preface is Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If you don't know it, look it up. You should know it. How dare you? <laughs> In prefacing my book, I would like to make a few important personal statements regarding the subject of dating. Fuck, I can't wait to read this. I did read this book in college, one of the few I did read. I am not an advocate of teenage dating, but, okay, well, again, it's not funny what he has done. It is just, he 
need another drink for this. It is just morbidly ironic. I'm not an advocate of teenage dating. But you will drive a teenage girl to your cabin in the woods in Michigan for sex. But teenagers shouldn't date each other. All right, you're going to find that's going to come up a lot here, okay? But I would, by teenage, and by that I refer to junior high and high school dating. Are you think we're stupid? The benefit, he does. The benefits are negligible and the complications are many. Too much life is wasted on temporary romances that rob teenagers of quality time with their families, learning physical, practical trades and skills, studying diligently, or being involved in Christian activities such as soul winning. Fuck soul winning. Many of us who work with teenagers would love to see Jesus Christ, a parent, or Jesus Christ, <laughs> sorry, I had to or a bus kid receive the attention and affection given by teens to their junior high and high school sweethearts. Then, too, I find Christian teens ignorant of basic human relationship principles because you make them that way, man. That's how the IFP is set up. You can't blame people. You can't, fuck, man, you can't blame people for not knowing about stuff that not only, one, you refuse to tell them, but, two, you tell them not to listen to anyone else but you when it comes to those subjects. So, no, fuck you for that. They appear untaught, untrained, and undisciplined. Yeah, in the most important area of life, human interpersonal relationships. So we are eight sentences in, and you are being a complete dick. To be sure, many who promote teenage dating do so with the premise that teenagers will only learn these important disciplines as they enter dating relationships. Exactly. I question the wisdom of that logic. Of course you do. But then I find that every relationship of life that we are often ill-equipped, and so you're taking it back, <laughs> and poorly trained to fully nurture the relationship, whether it be marriage, parenting, or career employment. Relationships suffer because we assume we know what to do. Maybe you do. How to do it, and that everything will somehow work out in the end. It usually does. You're in prison. One needs only to look at the divorce rate, child abuse, child neglect, teenage crime, and career job happiness polls to quickly see... Okay. What were those in 95? I bet they were better then. To quickly see that we are not succeeding in the relationships that matter most and have not even mentioned man's relationship to God. It is my opinion that dating will be totally eliminated and marriages would fare the same or better. What? I said, so he's talking about arranged marriage. He's telling you before we're even into the book that arranged marriage is the way to go. I simply do not believe that teenage dating is a prerequisite prerequisite, sorry, for a happy marriage. To, be, to the contrary, I think premature dating or excessive dating can be detrimental to learning the basic principles that will build strong marriages and families. Now, after saying that, I must also state that I'm not going to give my life to eliminating teenage dating. We know, because you dated a teenager. There are nobler causes at stake. I believe if parents, teenagers, excuse me, and young adults will give this book a thorough reading, I can help them build some foundation stones upon which they can build a strong marriage and a happy family. In Bible days, the parents played a much more dominant role in the selecting of, here we go, he wants arranged marriages, uh, in the selection of, selecting of their child's mate than do the parents in Western civilization today. This is even true of parents in the Middle and Far East cultures. Take, for example, Abraham's detailed plan to get a wife for his son Isaac. Old Testament, so long ago, but super relevant and helpful, right? This is even true of parents in the Middle I already read that. Not only did Isaac not date, he did not even see so much as 
who he was going to marry until after the lady had agreed to marry him, sight unseen, and had left her family to travel to live where Isaac lived. Fucking stupid. A hired servant arranged the details, and Isaac agreed to marry the one servant brought back, the one the servant brought back, because Isaac trusted his father. Keep in mind that this is the same Isaac who trusted his father when Abraham began to offer Isaac. I'm sorry, as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. I'm sorry, but all I can think of is year one. If you haven't seen it, go go, go watch it. Change your life on that story. I'm afraid that the kind of that kind of trust is rarely earned or given today by fathers and sons. Right. If my dad was trying to stab me, I'm out. I'm sorry, I'm just damned. Teenagers, parents, and youth workers have tough questions. Many teens are getting unwise or conflicting answers from peers or unchristian sources. Those unchristian sources, I'll get you every time. This leads to confusion and frustration, which often leads to rebellion and heartache. Many ask, what if anything does the Bible have to say about dating? The practice of dating is not found much in the Bible. I suppose you could say that Jacob dated Rachel, even though he wound up marrying Leah. <laughs> well, shit. Or you could possibly suggest that Boaz dated Ruth. Who was Boaz? Boaz had a foot thing, right? That's what I thought. All right. It is interesting to note that Boaz was 70 years older than Ruth. She was 40 when he was 110. The Bible is just chock full, especially in the Old Testament, of amazing shit. Dating is more of a Western culture practice. Of course, Samson apparently dated Delilah and another woman whose name is not mentioned, but both of these women were unsaved and ungodly. Samson's relationships with them resulted in heartache and tragedy for Samson and his family. So you're telling me the only example of dating is Samson and he was fucked, and so we shouldn't do it. Copy that. Samson's relationships with them resulted, I already said that, dating as we know it in America today is more of a modern idea, practiced mostly in Western countries. And yet, I hope you will see in this book, the Bible has a tremendous amount of practical advice for modern dating teens. I thought you told teens not to date. I'm so confused, Jack. Most teenagers are pretty much left to themselves in their dating. A sad, they shouldn't be. A sad comment I often hear when counseling teenagers about their parents' involvement in their dating is, my parents just want me to be happy. That statement can be tragic and irresponsible. Fuck you. I believe happiness is a byproduct of developing godly character and building strong relationships according to the Word of God. I do not believe that is the case, and I am not in a federal <clears throat> prison. So, just putting that out there. I have two children whom I love dearly. I, too, want to... They don't love him anymore. Uh, I, too, as far as I know, want them to be happy. But more than I want them to be happy, I want my children to do the will of God. I have found... Oh, okay. I have found that the happiest people are those who obey God's plans. Which he... Lay, that's... A, okay, okay, okay. Let's say that is true. I'm not saying that is untrue. That... Excuse me. The happiest people are those that follow Drake or God's plans, however you, however you want to say it. But they are the, the parents, the Jack Scops, the IFB parents, the IFB pastors. That's who interprets God's will. The teenagers don't get to say, okay, God, what is your will? And then go with it. They got to listen to mom and dad and pastor and youth pastor and all these this line of people to tell them what God's will is. So that's not really a thing for a teenager. Sorry, that's just the case. Several years ago, I counseled with a lovely teenage girl whom I had known since she was a very little girl. This is getting creepy already. Her father's a friend of mine, but he took a very casual involvement in her life's calling and in her dating. Then maybe just let him do that and don't fuck with it. She related a vile and rebellious... She 
related a vile and rebellious dating lifestyle that she chose because she was just trying to be happy. Again, most likely that translates to she had sex before she got married. That's vile and rebellious, just to give you guys the, the parameters there. Uh, the barometer, I should say. It is my sincere desire to help both teenagers and parents with this book. I do not profess to be an expert, though I have had many thousands of counseling sessions with dating, engaged, and married couples. You're calling yourself an expert, bro. Just say it. No book can address all the particular situations a person may encounter. Please use this book as a practical guide where specific problems arise. For more personal help, please, con please consult with your pastor, him, or other spiritual advisors. The introduction. Now we're at the introduction. That was just the preface, which is supposed to be after the introduction, but it was before it. So, and this is the sixth printing. This is the seventh printing. No. Well, maybe this is the, I don't know. This is one of the printings. It's not the 94 printing, I can tell you that. In August of 1976, when I was 18 years old, oh, I love his teenage stories. They're wild. I attended a national conference on a revival and soul winning, on revival and soul winning in Atlanta, Georgia. While listening to a 50-year-old preacher named Jack Hiles, I learned that he had a daughter two years younger than I. Oh, I used to love this story actually. I think Dr. Hiles mentioned how his 16-year-old daughter would snuggle up by him as they rode home from church on Wednesday night together. She would ask her daddy if he got any preacher boys on fire during his weekly travels. Something stirred. By the way, he's divorced from her now. Something she's divorced from him. She's like, something stirred inside my 18-year-old soul. <laughs> that wasn't your soul, bro. I'm just saying. And I knew somehow that I was hearing about a girl I would love to meet and date. Something told me deep inside that one day I would meet her. The problem was she lived in Munster, Indiana. I lived in Holland, Michigan. That's really not that far. Uh, you know, because you drove it quite a few times. And you, yeah, okay. And I was attending college in Minnesota. I never can get you guys this stuff right. Awatana, Minnesota. How could I ever meet her? During that conference in Atlanta, oh, hot Atlanta, I hate Atlanta, my parents, that's just me, I met, my parents met a man who shortly thereafter became the pastor of our home church in Michigan. His name is Jim Binney, that guy's a character, and he's a graduate of Hiles Anderson College in Crown Point, Indiana. Hiles Anderson mm -hmm. College is operated by Dr. Jack Hiles, for one of the time, he was the chancellor, then Jack Scott moved on to be the chancellor. Uh, during the December Christmas break of 1976, my new pastor, Brother Benny, called me into his study and asked me why I was not attending Hiles Anderson College. I replied that my previous pastor had counseled me to attend college in Minnesota. He answered, I'm your pastor now. I'm counseling you to transfer to Hiles Anderson College. And that's the way they do it. They run you off. Again, that, that's God's... See what I'm saying? Now that's God's will. That pastor just told him, okay, what you thought was God's will is not God's will. Now this is God's will for your life. Fuck that, man. I did transfer, and I found myself wondering in my heart if this could all be part of God's plan to help me meet that single spiritual snuggling girl I had heard about in August. After my first church service at a First Baptist Church in Hammond, I was waiting on my ride. Alone, I stood in a giant auditorium of the First Baptist Church, and I wondered how it could be filled week after week. A lady approached me and said, I know who you are, and I know who you should marry. I stepped back in a bit. Again, I love these stories from these guys because they are just amazing, terrific, and nothing like that will ever happen to you. Why? Because you're not Jack Scott, number one. Number two, it didn't happen to him either. Just saying. Just like Jack Hiles meeting Elvis in the elevator, and no one can say no one was there when he met Elvis. He didn't meet Elvis. He wanted to so bad that he made up the story about meeting Elvis. Jack Hiles didn't meet Elvis. This lady didn't come up to Jack Scott. Sorry, Charlie, not buying it. 
uh, where, where I was. I stepped back in a bit of shock at her statement of knowing me and prophesying my marriage. I managed a week, but again, he doesn't want to get his doctor from a woman. That's a quote. Um, I managed a week recovery and asked who she might be. The lady responded, I am your new pastor's mother-in-law, and I think you should date and marry Brother Hiles' youngest daughter, Cindy. Now I was thoroughly surprised. Had I somehow leaked my deepest thoughts and wonderment to someone? How could anyone possibly know that this was the very girl I had hoped to meet? I thanked her and excused myself to catch a ride. Upon arriving back in my dormitory room, probably on rice, I climbed onto my top bunk and sat down to digest this unusual evening. Must be nice to, to have all that time. Hell, hell, hang on. Jack Scott didn't ride night bus? What the fuck? He went back to his dorm on Sunday night. I don't care if there was a night bus or not. He should have started one. That's fucking bullshit. All right. <laughs> I'm mad. I'm heated. Um, let's see here. Where was I? Yes, my new roommate, Rick, approached me and said, I've been thinking about you today, and I came up with the name of a girl I think you'd like to date. I hope she's the same one I'm supposed to marry, I said with a grin. I don't know. I didn't know you were dating anyone, he said. I'm not, I answered. But a lady at church this evening told me whom I should marry. Rick tried to get me to tell him who it was, but I was a little embarrassed and thought it was a bit too presumptuous to tell him. Finally, Rick said, well, for what it's worth, I honestly think you should date Cindy Scott. you got to be kidding, I shot back. Why, said Rick. What's wrong with that idea? Sorry, I'm trying to dramatize the story a little bit. It's fun for me. Well, nothing. I choked out. But you see, that's the name. That's the same person this lady tonight said I should date and marry. Well, now, said Rick, pompously, you see how God is obviously working this out for you two. And, and was God working it out? Two interesting incidents occurred after my arrival at Hiles Anderson College. And before my meeting, Cindy, one month after I arrived, Mrs. Hiles was speaking at a banquet in my home church in Holland, Michigan. When she arrived home at about 1 o'clock a.m., she woke Cindy and said, I met the parents and the family of a young college boy named Jack Scott. Do you know him or have you heard of him? Cindy replied that some of her girlfriends had mentioned a new college guy by that name. <laughs> he is so full of himself. I'm sorry. Uh, by that name, but she had not met him. Mrs. All the girls are talking about him. Mrs. Hiles continued, I think you should meet him because he sounds like a young man in whom you might be interested. We would be interested for you. You should meet. This is, again, that's God's will. Beverly is telling Cindy, I decided it's God's will for you to meet this guy. So go meet this motherfucker. This was the first time Cindy's parents had ever, she didn't say the motherfucker word, had ever promoted a, a boy to her. Usually it was her trying to sell them on a guy she thought was cute. The second incident occurred a little later. My parents were down from Michigan visiting me. My mother and I were standing in the church lobby waiting for my father, probably after Sunday night, because church, because he wasn't going on night bus. All right. Several young ladies walked by quickly, obviously in a hurry. I would guess there were about five or six. I like how he really remembers these things. My mother touched my arm, pointing to a young lady and said, Who is that young lady there? That is Cindy Hiles, Brother Hiles' youngest daughter, I replied. My mother then shocked by... Then shocked me by saying, God just told me that this is the girl I've been praying for you to marry all your life. Okay, i got to stop here and have another drink and say this. I'm not saying none of this at all ever happened, but all of it surely did not. And so what's happening is this 1920 to 1950s nostalgia, black and white movie, Pick a white fence. 
This is what the big the, the big dogs at the top of the IFB have and always will have and will continue to propagate as, look, this is how it went for me, and if it's not going this well for you, you fucked up. You are a fuck up. Why? Because you didn't have 10 different people tell you this was God's will for your life. So you suck. But that's not that's not the, the case. But then you you carry around this load of, oh, woe is me. I'm no good because I didn't have the exact same experience as Jack Scott. He, we haven't even gotten to chapter one, and Jack is already putting you into the ground as a teenager or as a young adult reading this thinking, no one has told me that. My, not my parents, not my pastor, not the chancellor of my college. No one has told me, not even, you know, two, three, five people, however many he's adding up here. No one has told me I should date this one person. This is that whole mysterious God's will thing that will fuck you up. That's what we're dealing with here. Jack is telling you he had this perfect experience and he knew exactly who to marry. And you showed up at Hiles Anderson. I showed up at Hiles Anderson and didn't know anything from anything. <laughs> excuse me, had never really dated before, had no idea what was going on. The girl, I remember this vividly, I'm not going to throw any names out there. <laughs> I don't wanna, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, but the girl that I really thought was the one for me, I got there, and I realized I'm actually, I'm not friends with her on her Facebook, on Facebook, I'm friends with her husband on Facebook, and I'm friends with the other girl that was very close with her. We got to know each other at a church plant in Missouri. Um, anyways, all that to say, that was, I, I thought that was the girl for me. Now, you may not know this about me, or you may. I'm, I'm a short dude. I'm not tall. This girl was tall as shit. And she's gorgeous to this day. She's a beautiful woman. But, and I'm not trying to say anything about it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I thought she was the one for me. And then I got to college, and I realized, for all the right reasons, she didn't give a fuck about me. But I thought she did. And so I went to college with this big master plan, and it, it fell through. And now I'm reading this about Jack Scott, and I'm thoroughly defeated. So maybe I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. I don't know. But I feel like there's a few other people that had a similar, not like getting there thinking you had the perfect person for you and then it didn't work out, but reading this from Jack and being thoroughly discouraged because nothing even close to this happened to you. The guy's condescending as fuck. All right. Um, I never told my parents my deep thoughts since that August conference in Atlanta, but even as I write these words, I thrill to remember how God, God's will, providentially worked in our lives to bring us together. I was introduced to Cindy Hiles not long after, and we had our first date. She was 17. I was 19. I don't think that's legal. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. Oh, God. <laughs> that's okay. So, again, what he has done and what he's in prison for is not funny. It ruined that woman's life, that young girl's life, ruined their family's life, ruined a lot of other people's lives too because we all thought Jack was the shit. And then when he pulled that stunt, anyways, I'm just saying it's ironic to me, and I need to do a deeper dive into the laws in Indiana, but it's ironic to me that he was 19 and she was 17 on their first date. It sounds like an admission of guilt right there. Two years and two months later, she became Mrs. Jack Scott. Okay. To be honest, I love... He married her at 19? Cindy got married at 19? Can someone verify that for me? That's wild. To be honest, I loved her from day one. I knew it was right in my, in my spirit. My parents knew it was right. My pastor knew it was right. 
Cindy's parents knew it was right, and Cindy knew it was right. God was the one who engineered it behind the scenes. I'm going to pause really quick and say mad props and fucking way to go. And I'm so fucking stoked for all of the people that have that that are either in the IFP or have made their way out and are still married. He is not, by the way. They're still married and they didn't have five, ten different people saying, you should date this person. You should date this person. Like all these robots giving you God's will, you figured it out for yourself. You stuck it out, and you made that marriage work. Big clap for you. I'm proud of you. I'm stoked for you. That's fucking amazing because guess what? The guy that had all this leadership from God and had all these people tell him that God said that this was the person we're going to marry. I'm divorced, by the way. So it's whatever. Fuck me. But, like, he's divorced. It didn't work out. And you made it work out. Good for you. That's fucking awesome. All right. One month after he, after we started dating, Cindy's best friend said to her about me, that man has always loved you and he will always will. Oh, okay. <laughs> what a perceptive friend. She was right. And I'm not saying that Jack doesn't still love Cindy. It fucked up, though. Within the same month, Cindy's dad told her that I was different and that she should be very wise and careful with our relationship because he suspected I might be the right one. Oh, God. Oh, when these jacks get together. I live a very no-so life. I know that I am saved. I know that I was created for a purpose. I'm trying to do it in his voice, but I don't remember his voice. He mostly screamed. I know that God was... He's a very angry man. I hope that prison has changed that about him. Because for his blood pressure. I know that God wants me to be a preacher. I know that I am serving where I am supposed to be. I know I am living where I am supposed to live. I know I am married. I have married God's perfect choice for my life. How I wish every one of you reading these words would know these things in your life as surely as I do. All those things that he knows are gone, are done, are over with, and have been for years. But he wishes them for you. It's starting to sound more and more like my boy Joel Osteen. And I'm convinced God has a place for you to do what he wants you to do. And a person for you to marry just as surely as he had me and Cindy Hiles, uh, as he had Cindy Hiles Scott and me for each other. My, I'm sorry, this is so funny. My prayer is that the principles and practical advice of this book will help you to come to know the will of God in your dating, in your dating and marriage. And I'm going to try to, oh, I can read the chapter one, I think I can make it. I can't wait to get to chapter two, because chapter two is purity is not a dirty word. No shit. It's literally the cleanest word. But okay. Chapter one, starting right. Frequently I am asked by both teenagers and parents, at what age should a teenager start dating? I often answer that question with this. A teenager is ready to begin dating when he or she has made a commitment to purity in his or her dating standards. And no. The commitment should be made to the parents and the pastor of the church. Excuse me. This is a Tim Tebow thing. I love Timmy, by the way, but you got that one wrong. Uh, to make clear to the person you intend to date, it is too late to guard your purity after you've lost it. No shit. You can't keep what you don't have. <laughs> this guy is fucking brilliant. Being committed to purity means more than promising your parents and God that you will try to behave yourself on a date. It means following some simple but hard rules on every date. Good intentions are not enough. Obey the rules that are listed in this chapter. Okay. Be sure that the people you date know where you stand before you get involved with them. 
When my wife was a teenager, a boy asked her to go on a double date. Excuse me. The other girl promised my wife that she would abide by my wife's standards. However, within just a few minutes after leaving their parents, the other couple began to hug and kiss. Sounds like someone Barney Fife would pull you over for. My wife's date thought he could he could do the same with her. And immediately, my wife shouted to the driver, Take me home now. She didn't want to have a good time. I am thrilled to be married to a fabulous lady who many years before she began dating me was committed to guarding her innocence. Once you have made your commitments with purity, be prepared to have that commitment tested. Watch out for all the sex. Principles for beginning dating. James was a freshman in college. He had met Trisha in the registration line on their very first day at college. How do I feel like this is suspiciously made up? Three days later, James came to my office to get a few pointers on dating. After I explained the basic principles that are listed below, why should... Okay. James swallowed hard and said, Brother Scott, I've broken every rule you've mentioned so far. James and Trisha are not alone in getting off to a bad start in their dating. Unfortunately, a bad start does not appear bad until a relationship is well underway. The biggest mistake I see in dating couples today is the lack of policy and principle and a predetermined plan. I didn't have any of those. Dating tends to be haphazard, spontaneous, extemporaneous. I'm going to have to look that up, Jack. You got me there. And often tragic. Yeah, that's dating. Yeah. Dating tends to be more like a bumper car event at a county fair than an organized racing event. Where people... Organized racing event where people crash out and die from running into a wall, whereas bumper carts, you might get a concussion. I need you to work on your illustrations. I thought you were good at this. I think dating couples and young teenagers should just teenagers should decide what rules they will use to determine whom to date, how often they will date, where to go on a date, what to do on a date. I, yeah, I come naturally. How to behave on a date. How to? Oh my God, this is a whole. Okay, ready on. How to decide if it is time to break up. How to break up. How to treat each other after breaking up. How to, this is all one sentence, by the way. <laughs> how to treat each other after breaking up. How to treat parents while dating. How to ask out a girl for a date. How to say yes to a boy when accepting a date. You fucking say yes. That's all we need to hear. We're real simple. okay? What policies to have to live by if a date becomes improper? You say fuck off and you leave. What rules to live by if a boy or a girl misbehaves on a date? How to propose, I wish girls would misbehave on dates. How to propose to a girl. How to decide if a man is the right one to marry. How to propose, is that what he said? Man, I mapped that shit out myself. Jack didn't help me with that at all. Alright. Um, how to decide if a man is the right one to marry. What rules determine when, when to marry, etc. All of those policies should be determined before a couple in their teenage years begins to do any kind of regular or serious dating. Alright, we're into the rules. Here we go. I'm just so excited. The following are some basic principles to help guide dating couples through the beginning days of dating. The man should ask out the lady before each date. Ray Young, big time. His dating story, man. I need to look and see if if he if Ray has uh, something written down somewhere on dating because listening to him talk about. Is it Linda? Talk about his first date or two with his now wife. It's just amazing. All right. The couple should never assume they will go out on a date with one another. 
Even if one of the dates is a regular date on the same evening each week, the man should ask the lady for the date at least a few days in advance. <clears throat> I, I'm trying to make fun of that. I'm having trouble. Limit the number of dates to a maximum of three per two-week period. Okay. In other words, during any four... Like, I love how mapped out and how precise this is. In other words, during any 14-day period... A couple should not be together more than three times. <laughs> but you want them to live together, right? Okay. One of these three dates could last from two to four hours. Each of the other two dates should not be more than 45 to 60 minutes long. Do you see a, a problem? Do you see a trend here? Do you see the level of control that this guy that runs a college, ran a college full of thirsty, undersexed, overstimulated teenagers and young adults? Do you see the level of control he won over them? Do not spend unscheduled time together. Fuck that. It is exciting, but often harmful when a couple decides to spend time with each other that is not part of the regular dating schedule. I remember abiding by a lot of these rules. In later stages, there may be some room for creativity with the dating schedule, but in the early months, special care should be taken to avoid this. I can't wait to read this to my therapist. Couples who date while attending the same school should not visit each other in between classes. For 10 minutes or 15, this is unplanned time and too many problems arise that cannot be settled during this brief time. So then text them, for which we, they didn't have it then, let's be fair. I'll be fair. Perhaps one of the other one or the other fail a test or a quiz. They may appear to be discouraged or downhearted. This would not be good during those early stages of dating. So often I walk down the hallways of schools. I bet you do. <laughs> Look at the couples dating between classes. I bet you do. More often than not, the couples are trying to squeeze more out of the occasion than time permits, which often leads to frustration, fussing, and disappointment. The wise dating couple understands that their schooling is very important, and mental preparation between classes is essential for proper learning in the classroom. Then, too, each day should be proper, should be spent gathering, interesting material to bring to the planned dating time later that day or week. Couples who have unscheduled dates or couples who date between classes quickly exhaust their interesting conversation material. Then, when they meet for their planned date, they often resort to conversing about matters that are too intimate, personal, or mature for the conversing about, sorry, for their stage of dating, thus rushing the dating cycle and stealing from their future and dating enjoyment. The man should plan an outline of activity for each date. Round number five now. Often men are told by the spiritual leaders in a relationship. To be the spiritual leaders in a relationship. What exactly does that mean? The word spiritual comes from the word spirit. Brainiac. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. Proverbs 16.32 He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Proverbs 25.28 these verses command us to control our own spirits. Being spiritual simply means having command of our spirit or planning a controlled environment. Spiritual leadership on behalf of the man means planning each day carefully to avoid boredom, improper conversation, or improper behavior. You can't plan that shit, Jack. It's spontaneous. You should know. It also means planning a delightful and uplifting date. I will list several ideas for dating in another chapter. Can't fucking wait. The early stages of dating should be filled with action-type dates rather than conversation-type dates. 
Honestly, I, I don't know if I disagree with that, actually. <laughs> there are some important reasons for this. Again, his structure, though, is fucking wild. If your dating relationship continues, continues, you will want to relive sweet memories, shared experiences, bring closeness. And that is something that they really hammered down. And I don't think that it's actually inaccurate. Shared experiences do bring closeness, but he likes to make that like the only, the, the main thing that brings closeness. There's a lot of other things that can bring closeness. Anyway, if I want my wife to feel close to me, I simply start talking about the experiences we have shared through the years. You could also, like, pull her in close to you. That's also that. However, rarely have we reflected on the times we sat around and talked. Although we have discussed the time my pregnant wife slipped on a freshly waxed bowling lane and slid halfway down the lane with her bowling ball. You're a dick. As I spoke to my wife, that's for me to interject. As I spoke to my wife about this chapter, she reminded me of the first time, of the time I first introduced her to my uncle. We were standing by the door waiting for my uncle to answer. When he did, a giant drift of snow from his roof fell on my girlfriend's head. Again, all this is de depreciating to his girlfriend, his wife, the woman in the story. All of it. Uh, knocking her down. There she was, buried immodestly in a pile of snow. Her lovely hairdo ruined, tears streaming down her face from pain and embarrassment, and my uncle laughing at us hysterically. I thought it was funny then, and we both think it's funny now. And as we share these experiences, we, we sense a love and closeness to each other that further knits our hearts. <laughs> the fuck? Build a storehouse of memories from fun, spiritual, and crazy experiences you enjoy together. Excuse me. If the bulk of your early dating is purely conversational, you will have precious little to relive later. For the lazy couple who only want to get serious quickly, it is easy to spend hour upon hour, date after date, talking... The problem is that quite soon after you start dating, you are both all talked out of the simple and harmless topics. At this point, most couples reach into their private lives and reveal too much about themselves. Or they discuss marriage, engagement, child rearing, or intimate feelings in order to maintain their romantic momentum. Yeah, we do. Then after they have exhausted those subjects, they get fussy with one another. They critique each other's moods, love and, love and countenance. A, a moody up one day, down the next syndrome develops that drives a wedge between them. And sadly, many couples break up or get physically involved to escape the pressure. Again, you would know. Keep your early dates fun, lighthearted, action-oriented, and well-planned. This certainly does not mean you should not talk, by all means. <laughs> no shit. Converse with each other. I simply think it's unwise to spend large amounts of time on a date doing nothing but talking. Talk while you are bowling or playing miniature golf or paddling a canoe or feeding the ducks at the local pond or ice skating. Again, pretty much all those things you can do on campus. So this is a very Hiles Anderson-centric book. <clears throat> Excuse me. But keep your let's sit down and talk time to 10 or 15 minutes per day. Again, so precise. Jack, so precise. Then, too, many first-time daters, then, too, is like his phrase, it's like his and so, have a bit of difficulty talking comfortably early in their relationship. That is accurate. Going on church activities and group outings and action type dates make it easier for the silent types to enjoy themselves without feeling too pressured because they can't say in, they can't think of anything to say. Remember that you cannot go backwards emotionally in a dating relationship. That was a big one. I remember that one. This, these are all ringing bells. It is very easy to accelerate your relationship but nearly impossible to slow it down. Again, he would know. If one day a man tells his girlfriend that he loves her, she will never be satisfied with an I like you again. 
I can't wait to talk about the stages. Can you guys? <laughs> if a couple dates four or five times a week, uh, if a couple dates four or five times a week, it is devastating to drop back down to two or three times per week. No. Therefore, don't move faster than you can comfortably sustain over a long period of time. If you're going too slow, you can always speed it up immediately. If you're going too fast, it will take a minor miracle to slow down the relationship. Seek the practical advice from your parents and pastor to help pace your relationships. Couples who progress too quickly in their relationships usually find themselves facing one of three tragic pitfalls. They get physically involved in their dating behavior. <clears throat> no. Tell me more, Jeff. They run away together and elope or move the wedding day up much too soon, usually delaying or canceling their preparation of God's plan for their lives. They break up because the emotional strain has caused them to become irritated and frustrated with one another and, and to say damaging and hurtful words that wound their spirits beyond healing. No, the, the honeymoon phase ran out and you can't hang anymore. That's what that is. Shit happens. There are many couples who should have married, couples who were God's will for each other, but they broke up because they simply failed to carefully pace their dating. I don't agree with that at all. Then after they broke up, they quickly got serious with another person in what might be called a rebound relationship, and never married God's perfect choice. And I know a lot of them, and they're super happy, and they stay married, and I didn't. Remember that most people do not marry the first person they date. If a couple does break up, they will want to end the relationship with no regrets about their behavior. So many couples with whom I counseled have guilty feelings from their poor handling of previous dating relationships. Duh! That's a part of life. That's a part of learning. You fail and you fail and you fail and finally you succeed. I, don't, I love that he's making that a big deal when that's just a part of life. Okay, Date only one person at a time. Okay, I can agree with this. Some good people may disagree with me on this point, and because of that, I have explained the matter more carefully in the chapter entitled One at a Time, Please. Oh, God, the irony. Be an exceptional couple. No doubt there are successful exceptions to some of these pointers. I know of a happily married evangelist who married his wife eight weeks after they met. It is very unwise, however, to build your principles upon exceptions. It seems popular to want to be an exception to the rule, so that in reality, the exceptional young people, the young couple is the couple who lives by the rule. I have given you safe advice in this chapter. These are time-tested principles that are good insurance for a solid and lasting relationship. Assuming, of course, that you are dating the right kind of person. And that is the preface and the introduction and chapter one in Jack Scopp's book, Dating with Not a Porpoise, but a Purpose. Subtitle, Common Sense Dating Principles for Couples, Parents, and Youth Workers. And a bunch of res uh, recommendations on the back. Half of them are from people that work for him. <laughs> So that is chapter one uh, of the Dating with a Purpose book by Dr. Jack Scott. Um, and there was some juicy stuff in there, but I'm telling you, there's even more, even juicier stuff to come. Again, especially keeping in mind what he's in prison for and the fact that he couldn't keep it in his pants, but he wanted to tell all of us how to do exactly that. So anyways, um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you didn't, I don't blame you, <laughs> but I enjoyed reading through it, um, and we will continue this series of um, story time with Stu here on Not Your Mother's Podcast. Uh, please feel free to shoot the podcast a message or drop us a comment. 
wherever you see the podcast in a public forum. Uh, if there's a book you'd like us to read or you want to send us a book to kind of peruse and see if we might be able to, to, to use it, feel free to shoot that over to us. Uh, we'd be happy to uh, give that a, a once-over. So anyways, thanks again so much for checking out this episode of Not Your Mother's Podcast.